Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? I have got a wonderful guest for us today. I heard him on the Ben Greenfield podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to regularly. And um, we have Pastor Doug Wilson with us today, and he and Ben had a wonderful conversation about his book, Confessions of a Food Catholic. And it's discussing all kinds of aspects of, of eating and food and how we relate to that as Christians. And throughout the whole discussion, I was just thinking, my people would love this. My people would love this. And so I just knew I had to get him um, on the podcast, get his book. And I did get his book and I read it. And I made so many underlines before I even got out of the introduction, which I know means I'm going to have a, a good read ahead of me. I love books that jiggle up my brain with learning and perspective. And as I read his book, Confessions of a Faith Catholic, it really, it both sharpened and edified me. And sometimes, um, sometimes it was a little sharp. <laughs> it felt a little sharp as I was reading it. And so I want all of us to listen in today. And especially if you're a health practitioner listening, um, I think this is also really valuable for you to take in as well. That's kind of where I was feeling the, feeling the sharp as, um, as I was reading this and how it relates to how I uh, work with people. So I've got, like I said, Pastor Doug Wilson uh, with us today. He's the pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, and a senior fellow of theology at New St. Andrews College. He serves as an instructor at Greyfriars Hall, a ministerial training program at Christ Church. He and his wife, Nancy, have been married for over 40 years. They have three children and 17 grandchildren. He's written over 50 books. Um, I plan to read more of them, especially the ones I heard Ben mention about raising boys. Maybe we, we can talk about that another day. I got two of them. Um, but today we're talking about your book, Confessions of a Food Catholic. Welcome, Pastor Doug, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, thank you so much for being here. You don't see a lot of pastors weighing in on food uh, as directly <laughs> as you do in this book. So what led you to write it, and what is a food Catholic? So um, the reason I wrote it, uh, a bunch of the things I wrote in the book originally began as blog posts. And I began writing on the subject because I saw uh, Christians starting to have uh, dissenting views that, that would veer into dissension over food. Uh, and I believe that God gave us food as a unifying thing. Um, the word companion is a compound word from two Latin words, companus, but with bread. So a companion is someone who is 
um, shares your bread, basically. Um, and God wants us to be companions, wants us to fellowship over food. The principal thing is who you're eating with, not what you're eating. And I saw Christians starting to divide over food choices in a troublesome way. And, and this was nothing new. The, the same thing happened in the first century in the early church. Um, there were food disputes. Is it, is it lawful to eat this or that? How do we put up with people who are eating differently and, and so on? So I began writing uh, for that reason. I wanted to keep the peace among Christians who had different dietary requirements or different dietary disciplines and, and so on. So um, that's, that's why I got into it in the first place. Okay. One thing that you said that struck me as, um, as being a nutritionist by profession, um, you said not to be an apostle of fear, shame, and guilt. And I think as nutritionists, we have to be careful about how we teach. I realized for myself that teaching with fear is not inspirational and motivational <laughs> for people right. to make choices in the long run. Um, and it's, but it's kind of hard to balance sharing important information of health consequences without scaring or shaming people in the process. Um, and you, right. there was a quote in your book. Book you said, um, you know, as a pastor, what we must care about is whether Christians are picking up the leaven, the fear, the anxiety, the self righteousness. Um, could you just speak to this um, a little bit? Sure. Um... One of the things to point out is that uh, Americans in particular, but I think this is true of all human beings, have a, uh, a deep religious sense that what we put in our mouths is a spiritual matter, um, that we can defile ourselves with food spiritually. Now, I think you could defile yourself with um, you know, poisoned food medically, but, but uh, eating something toxic medically is very, very different than eating something where you feel a sense of shame or, or, or guilt or fear. Those things are uh, forms of spiritual bondage. So it'd be, it'd be far better to, to eat something and die two years earlier without fear than to live 10 years longer in a spirit of bondage and fear. So the, the, a pastor ought to be cons concerned first and foremost with people living in the joy of the Lord, regardless of what they eat. And then after that, sure, watch what you eat. Yes, I think that's that's a great advice. One thing, you know, the work that I'm trying to do is to um, remind people that, you know, we should not be allowing food and diets and weight and all of these things to be taking up so much brain space, you know, so much real estate in our minds that really, I'm like, God, can you imagine if we thought about God as much as we think about food and what we're going to eat and what she's eating and, you know, how much we weigh and all of those things. And I think um, that when we can find that stride of, of eating, how, um, yeah, you know, what feels good and in, in our bodies and, and, and really have that good relationship with food, then that it just clears that brain space, you know, that that real estate and, and we can be more connected to the Lord. And I, I think that's yeah, really exactly one of one of the things I would, um, for example, the, the charge I would bring against uh, common sense pragmatism, pragmatism is the charge that it doesn't work. 
pragmatism doesn't work. Uh, if someone is ob obsessed with their health and they think about their health 23 hours out of 24, the first thing I would point out about it is that it's not healthy. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you have to be, you have to have a life that you're actually living and you want to incorporate food and fellowship and laughter and wine and friends into this balanced life. Uh, when someone becomes monomaniacal about anything, um, and and uh, is, uh, Winston Churchill once defined a fanatic as someone who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. And there's a there's a certain kind of personality type that wants to latch on to the thing, the regimen, the discipline. It, and it might be politics. It might be um, CrossFit. It might be eating, you know, your dietary regimen, it might be um, your hobby, putting model ships into bottles, but they, they zero in on this one thing to the exclusion of other things. And that's my principal target uh, in this book. And so the food Catholic is someone who could be invited to, you know, he's got his own diet dialed in and he enjoys it. And he, he thanks God for the food and great and knock yourself out. But then he's invited out to lunch with, uh, with over to dinner with a friend from church, let's say, and they serve him something he wouldn't ordinarily eat. Well, I think a balanced person prioritizes the person over the thing that is on his plate, right? And yes. he, he, he values the fellowship with the person more. So, um, there are th I've I've been over at people's homes and I've eaten things that I wouldn't order in a restaurant in a million years. <laughs> I just wouldn't order that. But not my not my cup of tea. But the people are more important than my um, pleasure, discomfort, or opinions. Right. Um, you in, in the book you talk about. Um, quote unquote, designer or boutique allergies. And so when I think of somebody, you know, going to somebody's house um, to eat and they are served something with, let's say they never eat gluten or they don't right. have dairy or they don't, or they're, you know, allergic to eggs or, or something like that. And having a right. little bit of panic set in, um, I mean, right. where, where do you, where do you fall on that? What is, what sure. do you think is appropriate there? <laughs> First, I, I, you know, I, if, if you have a, this kind of sense of humor, maybe you shouldn't. You should go into restaurants and ask for your order to have extra gluten. <laughs> can, I, can I have a hamburger? Could you have some extra gluten in the bun? Yeah. Um, that probably would be a relief to the, uh, to the waiter who here is like yeah. all the crazy, uh, make sure it doesn't have this and this and this. Yeah, so um, basically, here's the, this is the thing. Everybody knows, anybody that knows anything about allergies and and human populations knows that there are certain people if you have them over and the uh, and the casserole you serve has cashews in it then you're not going to have a dinner with your friends you're going to spend the rest of the night down at the er because that person's allergic to nuts and they they swell up and they can't breathe and it's a thing right so there are people who are really genuinely allergic to things sometimes dangerously so life-threatening allergies other times it's as mild as a rash, but the the rash is an undeniable thing, right? You eat right. this and, and you get a rash. And 
nobody can look at the rash on your arm and say it's all in your head. No, it's on your arm. <laughs> look, you know, look. Uh, so there, there are genuine allergies. There are um, things like that. But we've gotten into a, a position where uh, I think people have allergy envy. They they want to. Um, they they don't. They're not allergic to it in the sense that it'll make them deathly ill. But they just say, oh, I'm allergic to it because I'm um, I'm lactose mildly irritated or, uh, you know, rather than there is genuine lactose intolerance. But there's also people who want a piece of the action. They want they want to be able to have an excuse to be fussy about their food. So there are certain foods that I could know don't agree with me. You know, if I eat if I eat them, I'm not going to feel great for the rest of the day. And I might even put two to get two and two together and I experiment and 10 times out of 10 times. That's what happens. But if I go over to a friend's and that's what they serve me, that's what I'm going to eat because the price of fellowshipping with this person is feeling crummy for the rest of the day. I avoid it where I can, but it's, a, it's, a, there's, you do a cost benefit analysis. If I go over to a friend's and I'm allergic to nuts and uh, we're going to go down to the hospital if I eat what he serves me. I'm not loving him if I eat it, <laughs> right? Because he's right. gonna, because he's going to have to drive me to the hospital and disrupt the rest of his day. So, uh, what do I need to do to love the other person? Wh- what's the golden rule sort of thing? And if I can put up with a mild inconvenience for the sake of my brother, that's what I should do. If I if I choke it down, even though it's going to disrupt. Uh, everybody's day and then I'm going to die and he's going to feel bad. Um, <laughs> I'm not loving him if I don't tell him, right? So there, right. there you, you have to uh, gauge in a golden rule way, what would I want, if I were in his position, what would I want in this circumstance? And do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yes, I think that's good. I, you know, I work with a lot of people that, um, that I recommend, you know, um, for reduction of inflammation and and other issues they might be experiencing to take out a bunch of these foods and i i know it 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 does become something that people hyper focus on um and that it's a hard it's a hard balance to strike um, sure for sure and one of the things i think a nutritionist is in the same position that, that a pastor is in when you um because the people who need to take your advice aren't paying any attention to you and the people who and the people who desperately want to take your advice probably should dial it back a bit should probably you know so if i'm preaching a sermon i'm i could um, you know make a comment about the sin of shoplifting right and there's there's a certain kind of personality that feels guilty if if a sin is even mentioned Oh, I'm, I might have wanted to take something when I was in the third grade and they, they tie themselves into knots over this comment that I made. And then there are people that really need to hear a sermon on shoplifting. <laughs> they really need to take it, heart, take it to heart. And, and they're, they don't. So there's a certain kind of personality that feels guilty, uh, you know, when their GPS says recalculating. <laughs> they, they, oh, I did something wrong. Um, Oh, my my nutritionist told me to do the, to eat this, and I didn't. I had one 
I, I didn't eat my right number of carrots or my medical, my doctor told me to do this. And they, and the guilt they feel is an oppressive spiritual guilt. Uh, what they, what they need to feel is a sense of, oh, that wasn't wise because if I want to discipline myself, I, you know, if I want to get ready for the game, I need to do 15 pushups, not, not 12 pushups, <laughs> right? I can't be a right. shirker, but that's, that's a question of discipline and wisdom and focus. It's not a, uh, and doesn't have anything to do with your standing before God. Right. Um, right. I, uh, that just made me think of a, a story that, um, because one thing I want to get into here is how we as women, as mothers, and we're kind of trying to help steward our family's health and such. And, um, you've had some experience, uh, with that. And I want to, I want to talk about that, but, but that made me think of something that happened recently with my daughter and I. Um, so we don't eat gluten <laughs> in <Right>. our family. Um, right. <laughs> and so we were at a friend's house and, um, and we spent the weekend with them and they made two batches of brownies because some, some people eat gluten and some people don't. So there was gluten-free brownies and there was uh, regular brownies. And so, you know, we had a great time over the weekend, all good. And so we got home and on Sunday night, I was putting my daughter to bed and we're saying prayers and I could tell she wanted to tell me something. And I was like, what's, what's up? And she's like, kind of got tears in her eyes. She's like, I have to tell you something. And I'm bracing myself for something terrible, you know? And she right. said, I ate the brownies with the gluten in them. And I was like, oh, and she was so upset. And I was like, oh, honey, I was like, that's okay. You know, it's, it's all right. right. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I was so afraid to tell you. And th that about broke my heart because that is, I think, that's kind of what you're talking about here is this, I mean, she took on so much guilt about it and, you know, it really shook me and, um, you know, yes. I had to, this is not what I want for my kids growing up. I don't want to make yeah. them weird about <laughs> food growing up. And so we, you know, I said, I, I love you no matter if you eat gluten or not, it has nothing to do with that. I just want you to be, I want you to feel good. And so, you know, it's, it's okay. Right. It's not a big deal, but in the book, you, um, you talk about this, um, the way that food can be an interference, um, in marriage mm -hmm. and, in, and families. And you've seen real damage that this has caused. So what is your experience with that? Uh, yeah, uh, my experience is I've, I've seen uh, marriages break up over food issues. And that was another impetus in wanting to write on these things where someone is, uh, has staunch convictions um, in the home. And, and let's say this person with the staunch convictions and it's, uh, let's say really staunch, capital S staunch. Let's say that's the person that does the grocery shopping, right? Let's say that's the person who um, who cooks the food for the family. Uh, and this could be the, the wife as the cook, or it could be the husband who has demand, uh, very demanding uh, sort of um, um, opinions that are imposed on everybody. One of the things that I've seen is people under that kind of regimen, if they've not, if they're not, if they haven't bought in, if they're not all loyal to the same uh, diet, then what happens is people start to sneak, people start to, uh, you know, they, they be, become deceitful, um, husbands, you know, hitting McDonald's on the way home, <laughs> right? So, mm -hmm. um, so, so that they, um, 
well, I, I, I'm not in control of what I, I don't get anything that I like at home. So I'm going to feel, I'm going to give myself liberty to start uh, eating apart from my family, which is the worst thing that could happen. Or he, uh, so basically I've, I've seen people be, uh, this is my view and I'm going to impose it on other people. Some people who are uh, under fear and guilt generally impose it on themselves. Other people uh, have caused trouble by becoming imperialistic, uh, imposing it on everybody else. And instead of unifying everybody, it makes everybody, uh, it drives everybody apart. I've seen miserable families, um, uh, kids in, living in fear, not of the food, but of dad, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or uh, living, um, you know, retreating, well, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm going to give myself permission to sneak food at work or on the way home or do, I'm going to eat whatever I want on my own time. And there's nothing worse for a marriage than for people feeling, giving themselves liberty to hold secrets. And, and that's just not a healthy way to be. And so you want to work out basically like everything else in a family, you ought to be working out some sort of accommodation in the middle. But hard dogmatism can't do that. that you're right. It, it just when you were saying, I mean, that's exactly how I felt with my daughter. I mean, she just had that guilt and it made me feel like, wow, I am uh, not, <laughs> I'm not going about this right. If that's, if that's how she's feeling and I need to adjust, but you know, I've, I've tried to be real sensitive to that because I know a lot of people who grew up in very strict homes, like no sugar. And then the second they would get to a friend's house or then in their adult life, this, you know, the second they were on their own, they just became sugar addicts because they were never allowed to have it. Right. Um, growing up and so it's the for, it's the forbidden fruit problem right so, exactly yes yeah so there are certain things that are made attractive by by being prohibited or if you you know mom and dad freak out at this uh that that um is for a certain type of kid that is uh, something that makes it very attractive Right. You, a quote from your book that you said, um, you said, by enacting stringent dietary regulations, wives are inadvertently trying to teach their husbands and children how to cheat. And I was like, dang, that was a zinger. <laughs> that was a zinger. And that I was like, wow, that's, that's so true. And I, you know, I try to, uh, I try not to make much, you know, much for bin fruit in my house. We eat plenty of sugar here. We eat bread, we eat, um, all the things, but you know, it is, that's an, it's just a hard balance. I mean, how, how do we, as women, as wives and mothers, you know, balance this desire to keep our families healthy without driving wedges? I think, uh, yeah. that's a lot of the challenge. Yeah. It's a, it's a real challenge because, uh, a, a woman who loves her family doesn't want to be poisoning them. Right. Um, doesn't want to be, uh, feeding them things that she thinks is going to cause everybody to die early at the same time. You don't want to chase them into an unhealthy lifestyle by having such a Spartan regimen in the home that people can't keep pace with it. They, they, um, they give up. And then when they give up and they still have to deal with mom, they, that's where the cheating comes in. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. That's a hard one. 
it's a it's a hard one to strike. I mean, honestly, a lot of the the women that I work with can't get their families on board uh, at all, and I, you know, it's a struggle for them. And I I just say, listen, you you just you start with you, and and just be the mm-hmm. example. And you know, I've had wives that feel so much better uh, by changing the way that they that they they show up better in their to their families, and that's kind of the angle I'm coming from with. Um, with that is, you know, when you feel well, you serve well and that crappy foods aren't, you know, uh, can really, can really change your mood. They can, again, like I said, you know, really uh, just keep us so overly hyper-focused on right. the way we look, the way that we eat. And so if we can find a nice balance um, of, right. of a real uh, sustainable way of eating and living, that's not extreme. Um, then it's just, it's good for everybody. Good for the whole yeah. family. Yes. And so the thing you want to be asking is who's the joyful one, right? Because mm-hmm. um, joy, uh, joy and cheerfulness are attractive. People want to be with it. People want to be around it. People want to be like that. Uh, the thing that is um, not fundamentally attractive is if you, if you eat this and eat this way, you're going to live on average 2.7 years longer. <laughs> right. So right. Uh, that, and, and you're saying this to a teenage kid about how he's going to feel in his late sixties or right. There's nothing immediately appealing in. No, in there's a real disconnect. <laughs> right. There's, there's a total, a total disconnect. So what you want to do is appeal to people where they live. Food and drink are given by God to us as a means of celebration, right? And so, <clears throat> and you can't celebrate by eating a bowl of driveway gravel. You can't celebrate, you, you want to make your the food attractive and tasty and as, as best you can. At the same time, the, the fundamental thing that makes food attractive are the, are the people that you're eating with. And so uh, when our kids were growing up and we, our kids do the same with their kids and we, and our extended clan, we all live here in Moscow, we have a weekly Sabbath dinner. So I've got 17 grandkids and uh, three kids and three uh, sons and daughters-in-law and a daughter-in-law and my wife. And so we, we have uh, something like 28 people when there's no company, we get together once a week to, to fellowship over food. Every week, still, all of you get together, that many people? Yeah, and, and usually amazing. we have company. So it's oftentimes 30, 30 to 40 people um, to sit down to have food together, to fellowship wow. together. We toast together. So the, But the, issue, the main issue is the laughter and the jokes and the people. So, uh, so let's say uh, we've had a really hectic week. Usually um, uh, the food is home-cooked food, great, great uh, spread, and every, you know, usually it's that way. But let's say we had a hectic week and there was a wedding on Saturday and everybody was, you know, um, coming and going, and we decided to do paper plates and pizza, right? Uh, we all get together and the laughter and the jokes and the people are all the same. You know, it's... Um, that's what you want to prioritize fellowship with God in the first instance, fellowship with your people in the second instance. And then the food is simply a delivery platform. It's, it's how you can love other people, uh, not how you can control them, not how you can manipulate them, 
but how you can share with them and give to them and receive from them. Yes, I, I think that's um, wonderful. And, you know, we're going into the, the holiday season um, here and I think people get so anxious and caught up about, you know, the food part becomes so stressful, you know, it's, Oh my gosh, is the Turkey going to be done? And you know, all this and is, you know, and you know, Marla going to bring the, those gross potatoes or whatever it is, you know, everybody's (laughs) all up about the, the, the food situation when really the most important thing is that, um, that you're sitting together and, um, fellowshipping together yeah love your people and if if someone doesn't like what you cook take it in stride if uh, you don't like what somebody else cooked and they serve it up to you then take it in stride you're you're basically prioritizing relationships over things um and so and this is something that there's quite a bit of um guidance in the new testament about this sort of thing so when the jews and gentiles were brought together uh in the christian church uh, that, that was a problem when the, you know the Gentiles brought the BLTs to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you say, oh. and and not only that is that you had for the Jews there were thousands of there were there were um, centuries of um, religious prescriptions on these these foods. For us, it's simply you know custom and health and uh, and science. It's not the bible says you can't have this because if, if if you were um saying the bible forbids gluten as opposed to this is a prudent life choice for us etc we've got uh celiacs or you know whatever it is um you can see how how uh, uptight people would be about it and and so the first church council the jerusalem council in acts 15 was over food issues right huh how can we um, how can we have Jews and Gentiles sharing Christ at the same potluck? <laughs> this is so interesting. I mean, really, when you think about it, uh, this is not a new issue. <laughs> this is uh, has been going on in the in the book. You talk about a food Pharisee. Yeah. Um, what? So, kind of talk more on that because it, it's along these lines here. Sure. Um, th- there are some people who have a personality that sort of collects guilt. You know, <laughs> you, um, it's not that anybody was guilt, guilt tripping them. They, there are certain personalities uh, are prone to that themselves. But there are other personalities that are prone to um, impose guilt. So they, it's, a, it's, a social, it's a means of social uh, control. So... Um, the food the food Pharisee is the is the person who wants to manipulate or control or direct or run the or run the show and uh, and basically we have to uh, learn to let let this other person serve God without trying to get in between without trying to be their personal Holy Spirit or their personal Jesus Mm-hmm. You said in the book, the sin is never in the food because Jesus declared all foods clean. The sin is always in the sinner. This means we can sin with food, but we cannot sin by food. Right. Exactly. So the, we have a, a because we're because we're fallen race, and because we 
um, because sin is alluring, and sin when, when we sin, we sin downhill, if it will, if you will. Um, we have a tendency to blame the thing, right? Blame to 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 uh, blame the. There's a school shooting, and we blame the guns, uh, or there's um, uh, there's a outbreak of you know quarreling, and we we blame the food instead of saying taking personal responsibility. Uh, and the food is simply an instrument. Um, so when Cain killed his brother Abel, it wasn't with a gun. Um, you know, it was by some other means. The problem was the hatred. The problem was the break in fellowship when, on, on food issues. The problem is the quarreling, the uh, control, the desire to control other people, or the desire to be controlled by other people. Um, th these are all problems, but they're all relationship problems. And and then you look around for something to do it with. If you took all the food away, the the sins would still be operating on another level. Um, let's say you the corporate headquarters banned eating lunch in the, at your desks, uh, and and so nobody was eating lunch at their desks anymore. They'd be quarreling about something else. Right. There's yes. You're right. It's always something you can always find something to quarrel over. Um, right. but it's, it's looking within at the person. Um, so what, um, what do you say is our responsibility when it comes to stewardship of our bodies? Right. So, uh, there's, there's several things. One is, uh, if I could, I, I touch on this in the book, but um, uh, I would take out of consideration the verse that says our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, because Paul says in Corinthians, when Paul's talking about that, he's talking about sexual sin. He says all of the sins a man commits are outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So he's talking about fornication. He's talking, that's what he's talking about there. Now, I do think that there's a stewardship argument. I do think there's a good stewardship, uh, being a good steward argument that should make um, moms want to have their families eat healthy and not have the kids pounding down the Twinkies half an hour before dinner. You know, every good parent doesn't, <laughs> you know, you want to watch what your kids eat. And if a, if a child is... Um, um, you know, their metabolism is cockeyed and they tend to be, they, they tend toward weight issues. Parent, parents shouldn't want their child to be painted into a real bad corner by the time they're 13, right? They, they should, and, and that means monitoring what is eaten and praying with their child and working through all of these, uh, you know, uh, all of these um, things. So uh, when you, when you sit down to eat, and you, you're preparing food for your family, you want to, I keep coming back to this, you want to love one another. And sometimes that means saying no. Sometimes that means saying yes, right? It has to be a balance between uh, between those two. And refresh me, you, you there was a specific question in there that you were- Well, just um, really the, our responsibility, I guess, as when it comes to, to stewardship of our bodies. Oh, yes. Yes, stewardship. Thank you. That was the key. Uh, that was the word that flew away, out, flew out of my mind because I'm an old man. I'm an old man now. Um, 
So stewardship, if, if someone said, um, is it okay for me to put my hand on this concrete slab and hit every finger with a hammer? Um, I would say, well, that's, there's no commandment against it, right? But you don't want, um, it's poor stewardship. That you're, God gave you your body and you're supposed to take better care of it than that, right? You're, mm-hmm. that's, but there's a clear cause and effect issue there. I know that if I hit every finger with a hammer, I know that I'm not going to be able to use my left hand for a week and that's bad stewardship. Okay. Um, at the same time, I don't know. Uh, I don't have an exact knowledge of what these brand muffins are going to do. <laughs> right. It's um, mm-hmm. I, I've got to fill in the gaps. So one of the things that we have to, uh, adopt as a posture of humility. The Bible says that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And we, we, there's, there's an awful lot we don't know about causes of disease, what, um, what's healthy and what's not. Now, I think nutrition, uh, nutritionists know a lot compared to what non-nutritionists know, if, if you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, nutritionists know a lot compared to someone who's never given it a thought in his life. But nutritionists would be the first to confess that what they know over against everything there is to be known is very small. Right. right. And, and so when we compare our knowledge of nutrition to, let's say, God's knowledge of nutrition, all of us are functioning below 1%. Okay, we don't we don't know what's going on. Now we we have a general idea that if you have a steady you know uh, steady diet of chocolate cake and that's all you know chocolate cake and cigars that bad things are going to happen down the road. We've got a pretty rough and ready idea that that sort of thing. And so you should listen to your mom. You should listen to your doctor. You should listen to your nutritionist for stewardship issues, which are wisdom issues not sin issues. Mm, That's a good way to put it. Yes. Right. So uh, stewardship has to do with um, uh, stewardship is a matter of trade-offs. Okay. Rather than, so if I got up and walked a mile every morning, okay, things would be better for me in this area. But that's, everybody's got a certain amount of time and I've got certain responsibilities and I might have to look at this and and trade off. I need to trade off. So there are things that I might want to do that would be good for me to do, but I make a calculation. This other thing is more important. Those are wisdom stewardship trade-off issues, cost-benefit issues, which is opposed to um, straight up and down, breaking the Ten Commandments, sin issues. We should reserve guilt for when we lose our temper and yell at somebody. Uh, we should reserve guilt for when we lust after our neighbor's wife or when we take something that wasn't ours. Guilt is a healthy feeling. It's, it's like moral nerve endings. Um, if someone didn't have nerve endings, they'd destroy themselves very quickly. And so guilt is a good thing when we're when it's connected to those things that God wants us, commands us to stay away from. 
but he also tells us that we are to be wise stewards if you basically if you read through the book of proverbs that's a book that's all about stewardship okay so uh, if i if i read the book of proverbs and i see the sluggard is uh is not a good person to emulate and i've i've got this farm to work and so i'm going to get up at 5 30 every morning and hit it and work work hard that's good stewardship but it's not a sin that you should feel guilty about if you're not getting up at 5 15. Right? yes right oh I, I could have gotten i got up at 5 30 but i could have gotten up a little earlier well then you're you're getting onto the squirrel cage run of guilt and guilt manipulation and too often food issues um uh, veer into that kind of thinking rather than uh, and too often this is another thing too often christians uh, judge by this by the snapshot instead of by the video right um you go to a lady's tea and someone offers you a little cookie you know two inches long and you take the little cookie and then you if you torment yourself for the next three days over the snapshot of you taking that cookie that that's uh focusing on the wrong thing look at the video do you um of the last three days do you eat healthy overall then don't worry about it exactly yes exactly that is that's right i think um you know we'll beat ourselves up over one little thing and let that um just reign over our minds you made me think of something um I mean, so people, I live in a real small town and, um, you know, people generally, I'm kind of the weird one here because I live in this, you know, West Texas town and it's real, uh, traditional. And I'm, so I'm kind of, I'm probably like the only person in town that, you know, eats gluten-free and sends kombucha with my children to school. So we're kind of strange, but, you know, I've gone to the post office to pick up the mail. And I mean, I've had people be like, I had a hamburger with a bun today, like yell it across the post office. And I was like, Okay, good. Like, what? I mean, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, they want to confess to me. And I'm, I'm like, you know, I eat hamburger buns sometime. I mean, you know, um, uh-huh. it's, you know, and you can just tell that was just weighing on their mind. And they see, I don't want people thinking that when they see me. Or, you know, I know if I see somebody in the grocery store, um, they just, it's like that first, like, <gasps> panic. Like, oh my God, don't look at my car. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. You know, and I don't want people to uh, feel that way about me or um, and I don't want to feel that way. I think I'm one of the but I think I'm one of those people that you talked about that just inherently feels guilty. I, I, I've really struggled with that in my life. And it has really come in between uh, my relationship with the Lord. I've really had to work on that. I just I feel guilty at the drop of a hat. Um, not really so much over food, but but other things. But I, I do think people feel that weight of guilt mm-hmm. and condemnation or food and it really affects their life right and you and you don't want to you know my, my wife's had a similar uh problem she taught uh, taught english at, at uh, logos school our local private christian school she's the english teacher and she wrote an she wrote a book of uh, uh a book of english grammar a textbook of english grammar and people you know if something comes up about grammar people jump like she's got like she's going to rip out uh whip out a red pen and start marking up their sentences as they talk Uh, yes well you don't want to be that person you don't when 
if you come into the room and people go white or you, you come into the room and people flinch, that's, that's not the message you want to portray. And so what you want to do is, I, I would say, in someone in your position in a small town, in West Texas, small town, is have a couple of comebacks ready for when people react that way to put them at their ease, right? Make yes. a like a self-deprecating joke. You probably you probably eat more healthy than I did this last week, or you know whatever, um, so that they don't feel like you're the law. Right. I don't want to be the food Pharisee. <laughs> right. Right. I, I'm really not like that, but I think people just. Um... Yeah, you know, some people project it. They, some mm -hmm. people project it. Some people project it unfairly because they want to put you into that box. Some people project it because they're they're dealing with their own guilt issues. They're just they they um, they reflexively respond that way, like the person who slows down when they see when they see the state trooper. Right. I think it's so interesting how, I mean, we could, pe people are so weird. We're so weird. Yeah. <laughs> we can, yeah. you know, there are some people yeah. that are just so uh, under this weight of guilt for all these things they, you know, that they are not doing. And then you have the people that are so hyper-focused on, on what they're doing. Um, and it's just, we're kind of all on our own journey here. We got to pick apart where we are. I, right. One of the things, you know, when it comes to, you know, being being actively focused on health and longevity and uh, and it's not wrong i mean we know that's not yeah. wrong and a good stewardship of our bodies is a not a negative thing it's just we we have to not overdo it you said something um you said this quote i think it was in the book or maybe you said it to ben and you were talking about fitness but you said god doesn't mind his people having fitness he minds fitness having his people right and I think we could substitute a lot of things there, food, money, uh, you know, all That's kinds right. of things. And that, that is really the crux of it, right? That, that is the heart and soul of what I'm talking about, right? Uh, so we can make an idol out of anything. And if it's not God, if it's not Christ, and it's the most important thing in your life, it's an idol. And, and, and the idols have to come down. Now, th there's an important distinction to be made. There's there's certain idols that, um, like in the Old Testament, when there's a great reformation and they tear down the bales and they 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 tear down the idols. There's a certain certain kind of idol that when you repent, you you tear down the statue and you you grind it up and you throw it away. The idol is gone. There's other kinds of idols, the, the sorts of things that you mentioned, uh, money, sex. Uh, relationships, uh, you know, uh, food. Um, if you repent of idolatry, let's say the Lord convicts you that you were a, a food idolater, uh, and you repent of it, you really do repent of it, you still need to eat food, right? Right, so the, yes. The, the old idols, you got completely, you got rid of completely when you repented. Uh, the more subtle idols are idols that when you repent, you have to find the proper place to put it. So if I had a little uh, bale that I kept on the mantelpiece of our home, I and I repent, I don't find a proper place for my bale uh, because that place is the landfill. I I, yeah. I, I take it I take it out. But if I if I'm convicted of food idolatry, where food is too important to me. 
I have to find a place in my home that's the appropriate place for that former idol, that ex-idol. And, uh, and so that makes it challenging to navigate because let's say you, you uh, repent of food idolatry as the mom and the cook and everything in the family, and you repent right after lunch at one o'clock. And you really repent down to the ground. You know, food has been too important to me the wrong way. I've been demanding my family of things from my family the wrong way. And you do all your repenting. Let's say that's all done by two. You still have to fix dinner. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and you and you have to fix dinner with uh, the adverbs being different. The nouns, the nouns aren't different. The adverbs are different. The way you do it is different. Yes, that that uh, that makes me think of the verse. Um, I'm going to butcher it, but maybe you can flesh it out for me. It's the one about a, a f- the food. Um, better is basically oh. better is it like with some plants than you know the food filled like a big meaty meal that's filled with hatred do you know what i'm talking yeah, about yeah yeah it's in proverbs it better is a, a meal with just vegetables and harmony um than a sumptuous feast and squabbling yes so if you have a, if you have the best thanksgiving dinner ever and everybody around the table is yelling at each other <laughs> who who needs it and if you and if you had a um, just a very simple meal because you're poor or because what for whatever reason very simple me- meal but everybody loved each other um, that's what that's what matters exactly and and also you know I also it makes me think of as the primary food preparer of my household and I think for a lot of women um, you know sometimes this preparing of food. All day long, three times a day or several times a day, it, be, it can really feel uh, like drudgery. And so I think, you know, shifting our perspective about that and, um, and just looking at it as, a, you know, an honor, a way to serve and, and just mm-hmm. and kind of pouring that, that love into, um, and just gratitude that we have, you know, that we have hands at work and the money to buy food and, and all of these things and, and just pouring some love into that. And I think, um, you know, I know it's something for myself. I have to reframe often. I was like, oh my gosh, when am I going to feed these people again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think I feed them and then they show up again. <laughs> I know. What is what is your problem? Why do you keep coming back? Yeah, no, I think uh, I saw a meme on Facebook like, who knew the hardest thing about life was going to be figuring out what to you know cook every single day uh, for the rest of your life. I mean it. It can be, but all of it, all of it is just going into it with the right frame of mind and perspective and, and just not letting it become more, um, more than, than what the Lord is to us and just losing that, losing our way there. Um, right. Well, that is great. As we um, kind of wrap up here, I'd like to ask all my guests two questions. I call them the anchor questions. And, and the first one is, what is your anchor meal? So I'm really curious about this one for you. What is your kind of go-to meal that you have all the time? <laughs> um, I would say, uh, the, uh, if Nancy asked me, Doug, what do you want? What, what do you want me to fix tonight? I would say taco salad. <laughs> oh, that's she perfect. Makes, that's great. Yeah, she she makes a great taco salad. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, I want to know also, like, what are y'all making for your, uh, these big weekly family meals? Do y'all, do you make kind of the same meals regularly? I can't imagine feeding that many people on a, a regular basis. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, we, we moved in with my elderly dad. Um, he's 93. And, and so we sold our house and we moved in with him. So my youngest daughter, Rachel, they're the ones who host our Sabbath dinner now. And so she usually does the, does the food prep uh, now, but uh, my wife oftentimes contributes. Basically, it's um, large. Um, uh, well, there's they'll make a couple of big pans full of enchiladas, or they'll make um, uh, a curry. You know, you know, a, a curry rice curry where you can walk through the buffet and make your own um, uh, curry. There's um, occasionally we'll have um you know like barbecue tri-tip that's that sort of thing a, a big platter of meat but it's always a buffet uh walk through uh, sort of uh, thing that sounds delicious that's uh yeah i'm kind of impressed we got some tacos and enchiladas up there in idaho <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep another one she nancy makes a lemon a lemon chicken dish that's really fabulous lemon chicken pasta thing. Yeah, it's I think really, that's, yeah. what a blessing for your whole family to be right there together. Oh, that's wonderful, yeah. That is really, really neat. Um, and then the other anchor question that I ask everybody is just kind of, what what is your current anchor verse? The verse that is most on your mind, kind of keeping you grounded and that you're leaning into a lot right now? Uh, yeah, I would say, um, I would say probably Isaiah 25, uh, the one that comes to mind is Isaiah 25, 6, I think. So it's, uh, and it actually um, uh, ties in with the, our topic of discussion. It's talking about the time of the new covenant and the, the Lord's blessings, people. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the lees, well refined. So, the uh, kingdom of God coming is described as a sumptuous banquet. Mm, I love that. Sometimes I think that we, we get so again, kind of anxious about food that we forget it's supposed to, you know, to be pleasurable and it's a gift and um, it, and it does bring people together and, um, Amen. It's delicious. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. is there anything else that we didn't talk about today that you think would no, be? No, you, you, this was a good interview. You covered the heart and soul of what I care about in, in all of these issues. I'm this so is glad. Good. I'm so glad to hear that. Um, can you tell people where they can find you and find your books sure. and all that good stuff? Sure. Probably the easiest way, uh, if, you, if people went to my blog, the name of it is Blog and May Blog, and the address is Doug Wills. D-O-U-G-W-I-L-S dot com. Dougwills.com. If they go there, that's sort of a clearinghouse. You can pretty much find everything I'm I'm involved with from that place. Okay, fantastic. And again, I would I highly recommend um his book, Confessions of a Food Catholic. Um, like I said, it really it uh, gave me lots of pause and, and things to think about as a you know, as a woman, as a, as a wife, as a mother, as a professional, you know, as a nutritionist. And so, um, and it's just full of scripture, just full of uh, really wonderful um, examples and, and stories. And so I really enjoyed it very much. 
Um, I'm going to leave everybody today with a, a quote I, that I pulled that I, I like this. Um, and just, again, going into the, the holiday season, but also just on the daily basis of getting together with your families and eating. Um, you wrote, eat together on a daily basis with people who love you and whom you love. Make it a ritual appointment. Sanctify a place, a dining room table, and show up at the appointed times. And I just love that. Um, thanks again, Pastor Doug, for being a guest today. Yeah. And thanks for um, having me. Yes. And thank you all for listening. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.